Our scripture passage for this morning comes from the book of 1 Timothy chapter 5 as we read the first two verses. Hear now the word of God. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Thus ends the reading of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. May he lay its eternal truths on our hearts this morning. Let's ask God to bless his word. Heavenly Father, you have spoken to us already in your word today throughout this service. And we trust that you will continue to speak to us as your word is opened. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear the truth today. Help us to receive and not resist what you have to say to us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. By the way, this before I start speaking about the sermon text, I will just say our New Testament reading this morning, I won't ask for a show of hands, but I would be surprised if the parable that Jesus told of the dishonest manager did not leave you scratching your head at least a little bit. This is part of the reason why we have on page 12 something called for later study. Don't do it now. We're on a different text, but I really would point you to that. I find that oftentimes there is helpful illumination to be found in reading other writers to help us understand the things that Jesus is saying and to not misunderstand the points of his parables, and I think that is a perfect example of the kind of parable we could draw the wrong conclusions from if we don't read them with a bit of a guide. And so please avail yourself of that resource when you have an opportunity. But our, our scripture today is it's two verses. It's, it's rather simple. One of the things that I appreciate about the Bible is that it is a realistic book. And when I say that it's realistic, what I'm, what I don't, what I'm not trying to communicate is that There are all these details there that make it realistic. Uh, I'm not talking about the the specific information that's contained there just so that we know these things really happened. It is there. But what I mean when I say realistic is that you can tell that the writers of Scripture lived in the same world as us, walked the same dirt as us, dealt with the same sort of interpersonal difficulties and problems that we all deal with. Uh, One of the things you you notice when you read Paul's letters is that he's writing to these churches and you can tell these are churches where they have problems getting along with each other, where people get into bickering fights with each other, where people have trouble getting along together. And you realize that this picture we maybe have in our head of the early church being just this Shangri-La, this paradise on earth, you realize that it's far more complicated than that that it's still a place with sinners in it. And it means that people have to learn to get along and have difficult conversations. When you read the book of Acts, one of the things you see is that Paul has to have difficult conversations. Uh, there are, there's a need in Scripture for people to confront each other. And yet Paul is really concerned this morning in making sure that we learn how to confront others without torpedoing the relationship. Uh, that we make sure that we can confront someone when it's needed, and at the same time, this person still sees that we respect them and that we love them. 
Uh, that's exactly what we have before us in this text today. You know, Paul is, is teaching us to think well about correction, and he's teaching us to think well about confrontation in a way that doesn't make things even worse. See, Paul has already set the stage for us today because this is a church where Timothy is dealing with errors. And, and these are errors that don't just come from outside. They are errors that also arise from inside the church. And so that means that when Timothy uh, is talking to another believer and he sees errors being taught, he sees errors being believed and held to by folks, he has to think carefully about how to, how to talk to that person. Um, there are, there's a need for him to correct people without turning them into enemies simply because of his bad attitude or because of the way that he says what he says. So, so the word for that correction that people need to receive is rebuke. Uh, and the issue here is, that, is it, that you have a situation where when you care about people, you know that whenever you deal with somebody, there are interesting dynamics. There are some people in your life that you can speak more bluntly to than others. You know, like, like last week, my, Micah asked me, what are these guys drinking in the Lord's Supper? And I, I snapped at him, and I think everybody thought Mommy and Daddy were fighting. Um, but actually, that's just how we talk to each other. We, we just have that. We just have that special relationship like that. Um, but that's actually not, that's something that Paul is actually talking about here. In a sense, he's saying there are some people you can talk to in some ways, and there are some people you need to be really careful how you talk to them. And, and he's, he's saying if you deal with somebody, especially somebody who's older than you, if, you, if, you, if you're dealing with somebody who's, who's um, maybe from a different generation, there is a certain, there's a certain attitude that you need to have in mind. There's a, certain, there's a certain way that you should respectfully deal with this person because it's very easy not only to communicate in your rebuke that you have a disdain for that person, but that you don't respect them and, and you can cause suddenly bigger problems. So now the issue is not the thing that you're dealing with. Now the issue is how you dealt with the thing that you're dealing with. And suddenly you have a rabbit hole of problems. And, and, and it's so easy to do these things. And Paul knows it. And that's actually why he includes that in what he says to Timothy here. Because he wants Timothy to deal, to preserve the unity of the church. And in order for him to do that, he needs to make sure that he's not causing problems that are entirely unnecessary in the way that he talks to somebody. And so this morning, I want us to think about three issues. The first is the need to rebuke. I want us to think through the fact that sometimes it is needed. And then I want us to think about the issue of respect, what Paul calls us to here, and the way we correct somebody, the way we rebuke someone. And then finally, there's the need to receive. There's a need for us to be willing to receive correction as well. So I want us to meditate on those three things this morning. Um, first, we have the need to rebuke. Um, correcting and rebuking someone is not pleasant. Uh, it, is, it is one of the most unpleasant things that you could ever do is to correct somebody. Um, at least I hope it is. I hope that for you, the idea of correcting someone is not something that you, that you are excited about. Uh, it's something that people dread. Uh, even some of you are, are sitting there right now and you're thinking, that's me. I'm terrified of confrontation. There are people who just simply don't want to confront. They will put up with big problems if it will allow them to avoid confrontation. 
Uh, not too long ago, I was listening to an episode of This American Life, and there was a, a woman who was in show business, and she was talking about the fact that years after the fact, she discovered that her mother had staged a, a confrontation or an intervention for her because she had decided to take on a show or a role or a movie of some kind, and her mother was very concerned about it, and yet she was afraid to confront her daughter. And so instead, she decided that she would conduct a campaign among all the family members. She said she decided to go to each family member, and she concocted this plan. She said, there's a news website where they're talking about our daughter and about what she plans to do. She said, if every one of us creates a social media account and then logs into this website and then comments under the story and says, this doesn't seem like a very good career move for this young woman. She's going to see those comments and she's going to change her mind and decide not to take this role. And so she talks about the fact that the mother created like five separate accounts and logged in and every one of them talked about how unwise this seemed for this young woman's career. And this young woman had no idea these comments were being made. She didn't even know this news website existed and she never ever saw the mother's intervention that she had worked so very, very hard to actually deal with. So, so the plan not only didn't, didn't it, it didn't work, but the, the mother actually, you know, realized, or at least the daughter realized, well, my mother has a real issue with confrontation. And so there are some people who would go to those lengths to avoid, avoid an actual confrontation. Are you like this? Uh, maybe you wouldn't do exactly what this, this mother did, but are you ter- terrified of the need to confront when someone does something wrong. Um, I think people generally are. I think people generally are terrified of confrontation. So terrifying is, uh, confrontation is terrifying for some, and maybe that's you as well. Um, if that's you, then you need to know that there are times when there truly is a need to rebuke. There are times when we really have to correct someone, when we have to be corrected, and, and, and that is for the good of us, and it's for the good of the person. There's a need for correction. The question is, when is rebuke necessary? How do we decide? How do we determine when a rebuke is necessary? Well, first, keep in mind that rebuke is not always necessary. Uh, if someone just gets a scriptural fact mixed up, that's an opportunity to help the person. Uh, it's, help, it's an opportunity for them to learn the scripture better. Uh, it's a factual error. It's, it's not a reason to rebuke somebody. You don't rebuke somebody because they're wrong about something. Um, there's another situation where a rebuke isn't called for. Maybe it's disagreement on something that God hasn't spoken about. God hasn't said something one way or another. Uh, and yet sometimes people do decide that they're going to call upon their own wisdom and say, hey, I have an idea how I think that you should live. That is not an opportunity to rebuke someone simply because we have a preference for how things should be done and this person's not doing them the way we prefer. That's not an opportunity for a rebuke because God hasn't said anything one way or the other. Um, and this is a reality in the church. It's a reality amongst Christians, especially if you live amongst them for long enough. There are, are Christians who would prefer that people did things a certain way, live their life according to a particular pattern. But they also couldn't point to the Bible as the reason why they do what they do or why they live the way that they live. So we should be very aware uh, that just because we have an opinion, just because we have a preference, it doesn't mean that we get to be the Holy Spirit going around and nudging everybody and, and hoping that everyone's life sort of looks like ours does. 
So consider that maybe a rebuke isn't called for at all. Maybe a friendly conversation, maybe even no conversation is the right way to go. Uh, But it is actually important for us to remember that oftentimes rebuke is necessary. And it might be necessary if the action of a person or if the error of a person is harmful. If, If somebody believes or does something that is harmful, then it's almost certainly necessary for a correction to happen, for rebuke to take place, right? If someone does, is doing something that might destroy a marriage, if someone is demoralizing people in the church with their criticism and wearing people down and hurting others and causing real harm, then they need to be rebuked. And it should be done sooner rather than later so that the wound doesn't fester. You write, brother, this is wrong. Think about what you're doing. Right? Saying that to somebody, it's hard to say it because then it means you're noticing the thing and you're talking about the thing, right? Sister, there's no other word for this. This is sin. Look, look at what God's word says. And you can take them to the word of God and you can show them that they need to reconsider what they're doing, right? This is, this is something that's necessary. Um, I would also say this, if the problem has the potential to grow, if it isn't dealt with and you need to head off, then you need to head off the problem before it escalates. Um, Kevin DeYoung gives an example of what this might look like. So here's, here's his example. He says, say that you are over at a friend's house and you hear her snap rather inappropriately at her children. You could probably overlook the incident, but if your friend snapped at three other families' children in the hallway at church, you better talk to her. Um, there's a real possibility this molehill will become a mountain unless she does something to address her mistake. So you can see how you might have a problem that can grow into something larger. You're starting to notice a pattern that may be necessary to correct somebody. And again, doing it gently, which we'll talk about in a moment. Um, Additionally, your rebuke may be necessary if the person is blind to what's going on. You know, some Christians know that they've sinned and they're sorry for what they've done. That person doesn't necessarily need a rebuke, but a blind person does. And I don't mean literally blind, but I mean someone who's blind to what they're doing. Because, you know, oftentimes we really don't see our own sin. It goes right past us, uh, especially if we get really wrapped up in ourselves. You know, I think Paul's confrontation with Peter is an example of this. You remember perhaps how Peter shied away from sitting with the Gentiles when the Judaizers came around and Paul immediately noticed it. And Paul felt like he had to say something because this is destructive to the purity and peace of the church. Not only is this harmful, not only could it escalate and become worse, but it seems like Peter doesn't even realize what he's doing. It seems like Peter is, is blind to there being any problem with what he's doing. It feels so innocent. He just went and sat over here instead of sitting over here. He sat with these people instead of these people. You can only sit at one place at one time. You could imagine Peter saying to himself, I have to choose a seat. What's so wrong with me choosing this seat? Peter doesn't even see what's wrong. And Paul has the guts to point it out. And it did take guts to do that, to see a brother and say, I have to. This man may be my equal, but I've got to speak to him. You know, it is, it is so painful to actually confront someone, but it can get so much worse if we leave problems to fester and grow. So why do we rebuke then? Why should we rebuke? After all, it's costly. It it feels like it's risky. It feels difficult. It's painful. It's awkward. Well, there are a number of reasons. Besides the fact that it's a biblical command, besides the fact that God tells us to, 
that we should rebuke when necessary. He tells us that we should do it because it's loving. He says rebuke is loving. Correction is lovely. Uh, If you look in Revelation 3.19, Jesus is, is talking about the rebukes that he's giving in this passage. And he actually says this. He says, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So he's actually telling us that Jesus is modeling for us what rebuke looks like. He does it from a heart of love. He said, it doesn't feel loving to rebuke somebody. It, It feels extremely uncomfortable. If you talk to somebody who's ever corrected someone or rebuked someone, you, you, could, you could ask them. And I think to a person, they would tell you, it doesn't feel good. It is not my favorite thing. And that's what love actually is supposed to be. Love is supposed to, to be willing to be uncomfortable. A love is supposed to be willing to do this thing that, that, that is costly. The Bible also tells us that we rebuke because it restores the person. Not just that it's loving, but that it's restoring Um, The point is not to punish this person. The point is not to embarrass this person. The point is to bring them back. The point is to restore someone. You see this in James 5, 19. He says, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. By the way, this verse also shows us that it's not just elders who are commanded to rebuke because James is writing to the church. He's writing to Christians. And he's saying that it's important for mature Christians to know when to rebuke somebody and to also know that it's oftentimes necessary. So so take that as a challenge, church member. Don't just say, well, you know, the elders will deal with this. And maybe it is appropriate for the elders to be involved at a certain point. But oftentimes we individually as Christians who see something can simply talk to the person. It doesn't have to escalate. It doesn't have to involve more, especially if it's a sin against us. We can just go to the person and talk to them. Uh, We should also rebuke because it protects the church. It doesn't just protect the person. It protects the church. Uh, Let's put it this way. A leader who is unwilling to rebuke sin or who's unwilling to address erroneous teaching isn't doing a good job of protecting God's people. So here's Timothy, right? Timothy in our narrative is hearing this challenge and he's actually having it presented to him and he is a church leader and he's being instructed in this way as a church leader. There is a need to rebuke, Paul says. He's letting us know that this morning, that it is, it is a necessity. But second, the text tells us of the need not only to rebuke, but to do it in a way that respects. He says the need to respect You know, at first, the way Paul phrases this verse, you might think Paul is making a blanket statement that if somebody is older than you, you should not rebuke him. It would be very easy to read this passage and think, oh, well, he's telling us not to rebuke at all. If this person's older than me, they don't get corrected. It would be really easy to read the passage that way. It might seem like older men are immune or exempt from ever, ever being corrected. But look at the language one more time. He says, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Now, if you look through the entire New Testament, it consistently tells people at least 11 times that they should rebuke someone who is in sin, that you should rebuke someone who's teaching falsehood. But the word that gets used in all of those instances is a Greek word, epitimao. 
And that's important because it's a word for correcting somebody. And the New Testament uses the word rebuke for this idea. That's usually, there's usually a one-to-one translation between those two words. The word that gets used here is not epitomao. This verse doesn't say not to rebuke someone the way the rest of the New Testament tells us to correct people. The word here is actually epiplosso, and I don't want to pull out the Greek unless necessary. So I'm, us- I'm pulling the Greek out here because this translation doesn't get across what's being forbidden. It says that you're not to rebuke somebody, but actually Paul is saying to never rebuke or correct someone sharply, violently. The word here is actually the word for violence. It's saying, do not violently rebuke somebody. Um, This is an instance where I would tell you, go to the NASB translation if you want a good translation, because that one says, do not sharply rebuke an older man. That actually gets across the fact that it's not telling us not to correct at all. But it's telling us that when you talk to somebody, you have to think about how you do it. You have to think about how you say it. And, and I really think that that translation gets across the difference. You know, there are some people who are ready to do this. You know, they saw this text today and they said, oh, man, this is great. I love rebuking. I love correcting. There are people out there like that, professional rebukers. Um, they are at the ready. They are ready to see problems around themselves that, 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 that nobody else saw and nobody else even knew was a problem, Right. And they're just looking for opportunities to correct people. And, and I'm actually talking about myself here because uh, I spent the better part of the 2000s as a discernment blogger. And I was always on the lookout for blood in the water, uh, looking for problems in churches that needed to be written about. I, I stood at the ready, uh, prepared to write all sorts of scathing attacks on teachers or preachers if I thought they deserved it. Because that's what I thought. Well, that's because I... I I wasn't in a church yet. And so I thought, well, I've got to be useful to the church. Surely I could do it from my blog over here. Um, he's talking about this more direct and personal correction. This is not uh, the same kind of thing that I think you would say to someone who's, who's correcting public teaching like I was. I think there's a different correction for that that comes in the book of Matthew. And when we eventually get back to Matthew, we will look at that sort of thing and how to address somebody who's, who's teaching error, perhaps in a more public way. Um, I think what Paul is talking about here is more up close and personal. It's not just the person who's at the ready, ready to come after anybody. That's not really what he's talking about here. Um, but here is one, one issue though. Many people in the church have such a critical eye that they've forgotten the sort of respect that Paul says is due to their fellow Christian, whoever they might be. Paul and Jesus both tell Christians, be on the lookout for wolves. They slip in amongst the church. I don't think Paul is telling us here that if somebody is a wolf, that you should deal with them necessarily in a gentle way. A wolf is someone who has shown that they are intent on misleading Christians and disturbing the church. Um, You actually see that Paul will address wolves. And when he does, he does it directly. He's less concerned with bedside manner. He, he even seems harsh in many ways, the way that he talks to people. Uh, when, he, when he speaks of the, the Judaizers in the book of Galatians, you see this sharp language, this way that he sort of casts aside all of his, well, I'm going to use the word bedside manner, and he doesn't do that at all. Instead, he just goes right after them. 
And sometimes that's necessary. And church leaders need to be ready and willing to discern when that is necessary and when a gentle word is necessary. Um, That isn't this. Here he's talking about a believer who has sinned and needs to be gently restored. Paul talks about that in Galatians 6, that need to gently restore someone. Or, Or perhaps it's someone who's mistaken about something. They're teachable. They're ready for sound instruction. Uh, they just accidentally said that uh, they just said that uh, Peter wrote the book of First Timothy, you know. And instead of you know unloading on them about all the ways you know that Paul wrote First Timothy, you know, instead you just simply say, "I think you meant to say Paul," right? Um, Paul is Paul saying, make sure you don't talk to them in such a way that they turn away because of your tone or because of your harsh way of speaking. Um, Have you ever heard the saying that you can win the argument and lose the man? That's absolutely true, right? If if they're going to reject your correction, let it be because of their hard heart and not because we behave like ogres. I think I've said that in the past. Let's make sure that what is being rejected is what's being said, not how it's being said. You see these entreaties in scripture over and over again. Be careful how you talk. Look at Proverbs. It says, whoever restrains his words has knowledge. And he who has a cool spirit, sunglasses, is a man of understanding. Uh, A hot-tempered man stirs up strife. But he who is slow to anger quiets contention. You want to be hot-tempered or you want to be slow to anger? What's going to be more helpful? What's going to quiet contention? To bring the fury and the fire? Or to have a quiet, understanding approach? James says something too. He says, know this, my my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. He's saying, look, if you have to choose between being a good listener and being talkative, choose listener. Choose listener. Um, you might put it this way. Anyone who is really eager to rebuke is probably not the one to do it. If you know people who are ready to rebuke, they need to learn to become listeners, right? Examine your own heart and and see what it is that you're eager for. You know, ask God like the psalmist does, Lord, search me and try me. Examine my heart. Ask God, what is it that's going on in here? Am I ready for a fight? Am I stirring for a fight? Or am I... One of these patient people who's learning what it is to respectfully rebuke someone. So what's a respectful rebuke look like? I, I think for starters, it should be in private if, if the offense is in private. It should be done deferentially, especially if the person is somebody who is older than you that you do have a different sort of a relationship with. I, I'll give you an example. I'm going to try and be as vague as I can get away with. Um, Years ago, there was an older member of the church who was consistently, sharply, harshly criticizing decisions the deacons were making. And because this person had been a member for so long, because this person was indeed older than me, uh, I overlooked this for longer than I probably should have. And as the pastor, I made the decision, I'm not going to confront this person. Instead, I'm going to be praying. I'm going to pray that the Lord would change this person's heart so that they would be willing to see what they are doing and to see the sort of strife they're producing. And so privately, 
uh, I was praying until finally I decided this isn't going to go away. A confrontation is necessary. And so privately I told this person, you promised to submit to the, to the officers of the church. And, and for a very long time, you've been violating your vow that you made before God. You said that you would submit. And yet you criticize endlessly the officers of this church. And I was so nervous to have this conversation. I, I had prepared myself for a week to have this conversation with this person. Um, this was a person who had known Jesus longer than I had even been alive. What business do I have talking to someone like that? And instead, you know what happened? I, I spoke to this person and the Lord used that conversation to wake this person up to what was going on in their own heart. What an opportunity for deep offense. What, a, what an opportunity for hurt feelings. What an opportunity for this person to pull rank on me and say, you know, you may be the pastor here, but I've known Jesus longer than you. And anything could have, could have been said. And I had to be gentle and I also had to be firm. It's very hard to do that. And I believe the Lord used that conversation to soften this person's heart. And, and sure enough, the criticisms of the church officers uh, receded and we were able to have a new kind of peace in the church. But it had to be corrected because otherwise it would have continued. It would have continued. So in a strange way, my own firmness and my own clarity when I spoke to this person helped restore that person and help them have a newfound respect for me. It was almost like in that moment I became their pastor. And until then, I was just the kid trying out for pastor, you know. And, uh, and God used that respectful rebuke to do that. It's not easy to do. And it can make you very nervous to do that sort of thing, trust me. But you can imagine how that could have gone completely wrong, how that could have totally gone off the rails, how it could have turned into a shouting match if it wasn't done thoughtfully. You know, you could imagine that situation resulting in greater division and greater harm to the church. Just this one conversation could do something like that to a church. And Paul says you have to be careful. You have to be respectful. Um, if you ever have to correct someone, be very thoughtful about how to do it well. Paul says you should appeal respectfully to the man as though you were speaking to your own father. Right, An older man in the church should be treated with the respect that his age deserves. And really the same principle goes for those of all ages. Older men should be thought of the way that you would speak to your own father. Older women should be spoken to the way you would speak to your mother. In other words, we keep the fifth commandment to honor our father and mother in the faith when we speak respectfully to somebody who is older than us in the faith, whether they're a man or a woman. And the same goes for those who are our own age too, right? Just because someone is your age, just because someone is younger, isn't an invitation to go unhinged, right? You don't sit there and do the calculus and go, he was born two weeks before me. It's fine. I'm going to do this however I need to. Uh, and, and what does that mean? It means coming to the person with the substance of the issue, stating it clearly, and, and, and if possible with God's word as part of the rebuke, right? This is what God says. This is what I'm seeing. You need to hear this correction coming from God, not just me. So let's see from the authority of God's word, not just my opinion, that there's a problem here. This, these are a few of the ways we can do what Paul says to rebuke with respect. Uh, there's a third point that we need to remember today, and that is the need to receive. You know, all these things are, are challenging. They're important. Uh, rebuking another person when necessary and doing it respectfully is never easy. 
But we should also remember someone that Paul doesn't directly address here in the text. Paul is talking today about outgoing rebukes, how to give them. And yet there is another recipient of the, there's a person here who needs to be addressed, which is the recipient of the rebuke. And so I want to address this person because at one time or another, it will be us. It will be us. We will be the person who deserves a rebuke. Um, If you're around other Christians, you are bound to sin. Uh, They are bound to see your sin. Um, I hope it's not necessarily, I hope hope you don't sin. Uh, I pray that you don't. But you eventually will need to be confronted if you are around other people for long enough. Right? Someday that's going to be you. Let's just say someone comes to you. Let's say they do what we've been talking about. Let's say they tell you that you've sinned. Let's say whether they do it well or not. Let's even, let's even set aside. Maybe they, maybe they didn't listen to the first two points of the sermon. <laughs> and they still come to you and, the, and they still, maybe even they harshly uh, address you. Uh, in the moment, sometimes we don't think very clearly, but even afterward is an opportunity for us to reflect upon what we've been told. So what do we do if somebody rebukes us? First, ask God to help you see the truth, even if it hurts. Ask God to help you see the truth, even if it hurts. So that means being willing to ask the question, Lord, is it true? Lord, is it true? This person did something really risky. This person did something really hard. I know this must have been awkward for them to talk to me about this. Is it true? Uh, Not long ago, I was confronted by somebody about the careless way that I dealt with the health of another person. And I had to admit that they were absolutely right. This person had talked to me and they had said, hey, look, you were neglecting this person in the way that you dealt with their health. And, And I was. I was careless. I was lax. I hadn't been considerate. And at first, you know, I had all sorts of defensive thoughts come up in my head. Well, I know why I did that. I know I knew that I, I thought I did the right things. And then I realized I still didn't really do enough. I wasn't being as thoughtful about this person who was vulnerable as I should have been. And I had to ask the Lord, is it true? And if so, I had to put away my excuses. And it was true. I had to put away my excuses. And I had to be ready to admit this thing that I didn't want to see and that I didn't want to admit. So that's the first thing. I ask God, is it true? Is it true? Did I really do this? Second, consider the source. Right? If this is a person that is well known for complaining, if this is a person who has a reputation for negativity, if this person doesn't know you well enough to actually address you or address this thing that they, that they think they see, then perhaps it's not necessary to take the rebuke to heart. Right? There, are, there are people out there who just don't know you well. They misinterpreted something that you did. They didn't understand what happened. Um, maybe they needed more context. Uh, or this is somebody who's just always spoiling for a fight. Um, the reality is that person may need a rebuke. Um, but at the same time, it's not wrong to simply discern whether or not what this person is saying is actually true. And if this person is the type... So we'll just go looking for problems. There are people like that. Um, but if this person knows you, if this person loves you, if this person isn't trying to hurt you, they're trying to help you, then listen to Proverbs 27, 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. There are all kinds of people who will butter you up, tell you what you want to hear, tell you what they think that you want to hear. How many people do you have in your life who love you enough who are willing to deliver a wound in the hope that you will be healed? 
Consider the source. Third, be ready to confess. Be ready to change course by God's grace. Uh, when, you ha- when you can see that you have been wrong, there is nothing, nothing better you can do than repent. There's nothing better you can do. Confession and repentance are so refreshing. We live in a world where people do nothing but double down. Even when they know they're wrong, they'll defend that bad argument because they can always think of a new argument to take refuge behind and they can just keep throwing those up and just keep protecting themselves and at a certain point you know that they were wrong and you know that they know they were wrong we live in a world full of people who can always find another argument to throw up but isn't it just refreshing when someone says i was wrong i'm sorry and they confess it and they say i'm going to try to change i'm going to try to change by god's grace thank you for pointing this out to me god is right And I am wrong. There's nothing more refreshing than hearing that. Nothing. You may be willing to rebuke others. Are you ready to be rebuked as well? Ask God to make you willing. Ask God to bring people into your life who will tell you when you're wrong. How amazing it is to have friends. How amazing it is to have fellow believers how amazing it is to have family and church family who are willing to do that risky thing and speak to you when it's necessary. Let me mention one last thing. Do not forget that Jesus Christ came for sinners. I'm talking about this as the recipient of the rebuke, as you are being addressed, as you're being talked to. Do not forget that Jesus came for sinners. And what that means is that we never have to resist confessing our sin if we're guilty. This is the thing about the grace of Jesus is that the grace of Jesus is such that we are expected to say that we're wrong, that we are expected to admit our guilt. If we've done wrong, if we've done something that that makes it necessary for us to confess our sin, then we don't have to stay on our ground and we don't have to resist a call for change in our ways because we have a savior who knew that we would fail. We have a savior who knew that there would be a day when we would be faced with confrontation. He knew that there would become a day where we would need to be corrected. That's why the scripture is full of instructions about what to do when people correct us. And it's full of instructions for correcting people because he knows the world we live in and he knows the people that he's speaking to and he knows that we will need both of these things. And the Savior that we, we serve is one who faced the same temptations that we do. And he, and only he, stood up under those temptations. How could we not simply bow our heads and say, The Lord has spoken. I have sinned. Throw, I throw myself upon the mercy of Christ. How could we not? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we've done, to, done harm to the body of Christ, if we've been caught in a transgression, that rebuke may not feel good, but it is God's love on display for you. Thank God for correction when it comes. It doesn't feel good in the moment. It doesn't feel good to be rebuked. It doesn't feel good to be corrected. It doesn't feel good to be, to be uh, addressed like that. But thank God when the correction comes. Thank him. And respond with humility because the Savior Jesus is ready and he is eager and he is joyfully willing 
to receive you. So we never have to defend ourselves and we never have to flee from correction because in our place condemned, he stood. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you know that we are sinners and that we fail. For some of us, we sin and we need to be rebuked in our sin. In fact, for all of us. For others, though, at this time, at one time or another, we're going to need courage to confront another believer for sin. And we may need to rebuke a person. And so, God, whether we're meant to give the rebuke or whether we're meant to receive the rebuke, would you help us to glorify you by hearing the truth and admitting that you are God and we are not. Help us, O Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm -hmm.